Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, January 8th. Alberta's economy is expected to slow in 2024 after a big 2023 fueled by growth in the energy sector. What reasons are behind this expected slowdown and how will it impact the average Albertan? We asked Deloitte Canada's chief economist, Don Desjardins, for some answers. The deadly terrorist attack on Israel was exactly three months ago yesterday, and there are fears the war against Hamas could spill into neighboring regions and spark a wider conflict. We get details on the state of the conflict from Elliot Tepper, distinguished senior fellow at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. And if you got a new phone or a laptop for Christmas, how can you safely dispose of your old device and protect your personal data on the new one? We get the essential steps to securing the safety of your digital footprint from Tony Anscom, Chief Security Evangelist at Malware Protection and Internet Security Company, ESET. A new report bringing some information about Alberta's economic outlook for 2024. We're going to uh, get into a discussion as to what's headed our way. And joining us this morning, Don Desjardins, Deloitte, Canada's Chief Economist. Hi, Don. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Sue. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Okay, let's talk about the report itself. What was, what was the actual uh, sort of breakdown of what we were looking for? Well, uh, certainly for Alberta, uh, 2024 likely to be slower, uh, but still top of, very close to the top of the leaderboard against other provinces. Um, you know, we're looking at an environment where lots of strong population growth for the province, which has been great in terms of keeping uh, momentum in the positive column. However, high interest rates having an impact, um, household debt, in Alberta is uh, you know, relatively high um, and as a result as we get more and more of these mortgages renewing it's probably going to take a little bit of shine off the economy as we go through 20 at least the first part of 2024. Yeah because 2023 for Alberta as a whole mm-hmm. it was pretty good but you're right and that's sort of something that's been common a common thread over the years is that we do hold a lot of debt in this province don't we? Yes, yeah. When we look at debt to um, income ratios, um, of course, we have the ones that are extremely high levels, whether BC or Ontario, but Alberta also comes in um, at, at a relatively high level. So, you know, we do think that even though conditions um, remain better than in other provinces, it's still going to be the case that slower growth um, is going to be occurring in 2024. I don't like to look back too often, but let's look at Alberta's economy in 2023. And it was pretty good. What fueled the growth, would you say? Well, I think, uh, you know, a a lot of that population growth, certainly that was a a really key um, input. Um, Of course, increased um, oil production as well. But I think really when we look at it, it is the fact that the province has seen such significant increases in population and we've seen no decent employment growth, um, though having said that, not keeping up uh, with uh, working age population, the unemployment rate having ticked up over the course of 2023. Um, we also saw, uh, of course, retail activity being really strong um, in the province. So that we think is where we're going to start to see a little bit of fraying, um, just as the impact of those interest rate increases bite. Yeah, and that's really, you know, that's the thing I think is on everybody's mind, right, are the interest rates. And we're expected to, to see them perhaps, hopefully, fingers crossed, come down in 2024. But how do those elevated interest rates impact household finances in Alberta? Well, you know, as we all renew mortgages over time, it just means that 
the uh, higher interest rates um, are meaning our debt service costs are rising. And certainly that is not just an Alberta thing. <laughs> of course, it's uh, across the entire country. And so everyone's personal budgets are being, not everyone, but many personal budgets are being impacted uh, by this increase in financing costs. And the other thing I would say is that when we look at Alberta in terms of rent growth, that has been um, above uh, the national average. So again, even if you're not a home owner per se with a mortgage you could be renting and again seeing this uptick in your cost taking a, a little bit of a chunk out of your 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 income and that means that you have less to spend on other goods and services. Mm-hmm. There are things that will impact us obviously here in Alberta perhaps more than the rest of the country but how critical is the expansion of the uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline for example for Alberta's economic outlook? Right definitely uh, very very <laughs> important in terms of increasing, uh, you know, keeping production up, seeing an increased flow uh, out of the province, a way to to get product out. Um, So, I mean, from what we've been seeing, um, it does look uh, like first quarter or or second quarter that that will be uh, underway. But of course, we have had a bit of a snag uh, recently. So just making sure that that pipeline is able to um, go forward. Um, a delay could, in fact, dampen the outlook for the province in the early part of the year. But, you know, again, it, it is a risk to the outlook, I would say. Speaking with Don Desjardins, Deloitte Canada's chief economist. Don, what drives the projections for increased residential investment, for example? What do you think we need for some for recovery in 2024? Well, I mean, a couple things. Um, you know, we do need to see interest rates start to move down. When we're thinking about uh, the housing market, what people can afford, how they have to, um, you know, uh, get their mortgages, uh, certainly we need to see some relief on that side. Um, as well, when we're thinking about builders and, and people who work in the construction of um, housing, you know, elevated costs also impacting them, as well as the fact that we have persistent labor shortages. So we need a lot of things to move in the right direction because I think what we're seeing across the country is a shortage of housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have strong population growth, and and certainly in order to you know get the economy running at at, at its potential pace at a strong uh, rate and increase that potential pace, we need to have this. I would say baseline infrastructure, meaning housing, uh, that is affordable and is accessible um, for us to move forward. As an economist, are you feeling good about 2024 or should we expect more (laughs) of the, the 2023 that we already experienced? Well, I have to say, I think the first... Uh, part of the year is going to be tough sledding uh, for for many. And it's because we are seeing this increase in costs. And then, of course, businesses react because with increasing caution, as is only sensible. So, you know, we do think it's going to be a soft start to the year. But as we move forward, as we get inflation continuing to move lower, which, of course, is very important for households who are, are and businesses who are facing these rising costs, that opens the door to not only lower inflation, but as well lower interest rates. So that combination, I think, is a, a real positive but it's going to take time. And so the first part, I would expect to see slow momentum in the economy, only starting to see some improvement as all of these factors come together, lower inflation and lower interest rates. Thank you so much for your time and your perspective this morning. Appreciate it. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Don Desjardins, Deloitte, Canada's chief economist.
U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is visiting nine countries in and around Gaza, trying to ensure the war between Israel and terrorist group Hamas does not spill into neighboring regions and spark an even bigger conflict. Joining us to talk about the latest is Elliot Tepper, Distinguished Senior Fellow at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Good morning, Elliot. Thanks so much for joining us again. Thank you. Good morning, Sue, and Happy New Year to you, although it's not a happy way to start the year. No, true enough, but Happy New Year to you, and thank you always so much for joining us. Appreciate your 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 perspective and your and your brilliance on these topics. So t- let's begin, you know, and talk about how serious are the concerns that this conflict in Gaza now could actually spark a wider conflict and move without, outside of those boundaries. Yes, it's remarkable in a, in a way that it hasn't already, and in fact, Hamas counted on it being a widened war when they attacked Israel uh, on October 7th. They expected Hezbollah, their close friend and ally and partner, uh, all, all of them connected, of course, to Iran, they expected Hezbollah to play a more active role. And Hezbollah has basically been told by Iran to, uh, the term they're using is use strategic patience, that is, uh, the Hamas is being uh, stimulated by Iran to make their attacks, but Hezbollah is being told not to join in. Uh, apparently, Iran doesn't want to sacrifice Hezbollah too quickly uh, to the uh, consequences of their own widening of that war if they choose to do so. Do you think at some point that, you know, terrorists will join terrorists and they will join forces? Yes, it's entirely uh, possible because what we've seen so far is that Israel, um, having and fully mobilized after being caught uh, disastrously on October 7th. What they fully mobilized, there were voices in Israel then that said, look, sooner or later we're going to have to deal with Hezbollah. Iran has been arming them and prepping them to attack us. Uh, they built them into a far more formidable force than Hamas is. If we're going to have to do it sometime, we might as well do it before they're even more formidable, built up even further. Uh, the U.S. apparently leaned in very heavily and said to those uh, voices, which were not the government voices, but uh, important voices saying, no, don't do that. The last thing you need is an even wider war, meaning the last thing everybody wants is a wider war. So Mr. Blinken and also the EU's uh, top diplomat have now been sent to the region to see if they can stop uh, the spread. But uh, it's going to be very hard to do that, mm. soon, given the fact that <laughs> that uh, Hezbollah in their restrained fashion, has been shelling heavily in the, in the, into the region of uh, northern Israel. There's 80,000 people have been forced to leave their residences in Israel, and they've been living now outside their homes for three months. It, it's, it's an intolerable situation for Israel to sustain very long. And that's where we are today. And we know, you know, a senior Hezbollah commander in southern Lebanon has been killed by an Israeli airstrike. So, I mean, that would sound like retribution would be coming, right? Well, it's it's part of this. How far can Iran push its proxies before there's a massive retaliation? And, of course, Iran wants to be sure that all that happens. They're trying to use their position to basically push the West out of, out of the whole region. That's uh, us as well. And we also... Uh, have at the same time their desire not to pay a cost to do so. Hezbollah is kind of the crown jewel in their proxies. They, uh, they're the largest group. They control about 200 villages in the north of, uh, in the southern part of Lebanon. There was a terrible war when Hezbollah miscalculated in 2006 and it entered into Israel and uh, kidnapped some people. So the, the um, possibility that they will try to do what Hamas has already done remains very high. 
it's going to be hard to keep a lid on this as uh, they attack, <laughs> you know, at what point do you want to enter the cycle? They attack northern Israel, uh, from, they, and then Israel responds, but responds in a confined way. So it's an understand dip, tit for tat. But we're talking about, you know, 40 missiles slamming into Israel, and at the same time, these are partners of Hamas. So Israel has basically said quietly, but very dramatically, Hezbollah, we know what you're doing. We are going to not invade and attack you unless you really force us to, but we're going to show you you have to pay a cost. So they assassinated a Hamas senior Hamas figure in Beirut in a Hezbollah neighborhood, and now they've assassinated a Hezbollah, Hezbollah uh, commander as well. Both of these are operational officers. They're planners, coordinators, and they've been taken out. So these are messages being sent. Uh, so far, Israel has not indicated they are seeking or want a wider war at this time. The U.S. is uh, there, EU is there, everybody's trying to tamp this down so it does not expand, but as long as Iran sees that it's in their interest to expand it up to the point where they have to pay a cost, this is likely to uh, be a very volatile, dangerous game. Elliot, is it all, I mean, we know the history, it goes back, you know, so, so many years, but why such animosity towards Israel? Is it all about religion here? Yes, uh, we should remind ourselves, it wasn't that long ago, it was just a, an, era, an era ago that, uh, in fact, Israel, Iran, and Turkey were close friends and allies, and it was the coming to power of the Ayatollah's regime, which is itself, uh, like Hezbollah, like Hamas, uh, these are fanatical organizations, and they have said that their goal is to eliminate the existence of Israel, and they are taking steps now to surprise surround Israel with the means to complete their genocidal uh, agenda, again, without themselves paying a cost. So they, uh, they're bringing into the Syrian civil war of Hezbollah from Lebanon and transforming it from a militia into a, a very effective field army was part of that. So they saved the Assad regime so that they have access to the Shia Crescent. This is part of their conflict, not only with Israel, but with the Sunni bloc led by Saudi Arabia. They have really been pushing Saudi Arabia all over the map quite successfully. And uh, this operation by Hamas is seen as a way to thwart the Saudis and carry on the thousand-year civil war between Shias and Sunnis, it's all a very complicated mix. But it goes back to Iran's ambitions and the actions they are taking uh, to accomplish those really genocidal and fanatical goals. I'm sorry to use that vocabulary. We're on the anniversary of Ukraine uh, Airline 752, where Iran shot down a plane that was uh, full of people connected to Canada. I took part in some of the... Uh, commemorations here in town. It was very sobering. So Iran is, is a, a very dangerous rogue regime, having great success so far. Uh, the big transformative event of 2004, since we're talking about the region, would be if Iran now decides to go and has the ability to become a nuclear weapon state, adding that on top of the reckless behavior and stimulating Hamas to attack Israel on October 7th, and uh, the repercussions that we see in front of us now. Speaking of sobering anniversaries, quickly before we let you go, uh, Elliot, just, you know, we are three months and one day away from that October 7th horrific yes. attack in Israel. How many uh, captives remain that Hamas took from Israel that day? It's estimated there's 136 still uh, held by Hamas, 
and but about 20 of those are estimated actually to be dead. Uh, Israel is, is mortally, physically, traumatically uh, wounded by that attack and the ongoing uh, ordeal of the hostages, and we've, we're getting uh, from the original hostage for prisoner exchange, we're getting details of some of the treatment of the women uh, by Hamas. So the, this is, those hostages are, are a prime cause for Israel's fury right now. And Israel, of course, basically wants to prevent, as they say, Hamas will never, once, will never ever be a threat to Israel. But we have to keep in mind, Hamas is a threat to the people of Gaza. Mm-hmm. These are terrorist organizations. It has nothing to do with the Palestinian conflict when we talk about yeah. Lebanon or when we talk about uh, when we talk about Iran, where they have once again uh, put down yet another uprising. They have suppressed yet another uprising by the people of Iran trying to uh, overthrow the Ayatollah's regime. So the Ayatollah's regime, uh, working with their allies, uh, have led to this uh, this incredible. Terrible tragedy, mm-hmm. strategy, tragedy we see before us, and the Gaza situation where we focus is should also be seen as part of the Hamas playbook, where they plan to uh, create a situation where the world then has to lean on Israel to stop after they yeah. commit atrocities in, inside Israel. So it, it's a, it's an ongoing cycle it that is, Anthony yeah. Blinken said we're going to break. It's not breaking, and it might widen. Elliot, got to leave it there for time. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it this morning. Oh, certainly, Sue. Thank you. Elliot Tepper, Distinguished Senior Fellow, Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. It's out with the old and in with the new now that it's 2024. Hey, we love our tech. We love keeping up with the latest gadgets. So if you got a new device for Christmas, whether it be a cell phone or anything else, how do you properly dispose of the old device and make sure that you're protecting your personal data on the old and the fancy new one? Joining us to talk about it is Tony Anscombe, who is a chief security evangelist at Malware Protection and Internet Security Company, ESET. Hi, Tony. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, talk about, uh, I think we hear more and more in different ways and, and smarter ways these days about identity theft and data breaches. Does it, does it really sort of stem from the disposal of old tech of why we're hearing about this when it comes to, you know, we us personally as individuals? It certainly can, especially if you consider the types of personal data that we keep on a lot of devices that we or may dispose of. Uh, certainly laptops has have a lot of personal data, but an old phone probably has a wealth of personal data, including tax references, social security numbers, and all, all sorts of things that a cyber criminal can use. Okay, so you've got seven essential steps for ensuring the security of personal data when we get rid of an old device. Give us a couple of the biggies, would you? Well, firstly, back up the old device. I mean, before you do anything, that's uh, that's imperative. But make sure that, you know, you're going to actually remove the data. Factory resetting might not actually remove as much data or make it unrecoverable as you think. So make sure you use a third-party method of removing data as well. And that's especially true on uh, old laptops and things like that. Phones may be a little bit better. Okay, so uh, factory reset might not do the trick. What are you saying that we do then? So if you're thinking of uh, tra- you know, removing an old laptop, either recycling it, giving it to somebody else, make sure you actually reformat the drives. There's tools out there 
that will disc wipe or actively kill the disc. So actually do a, a full deep erase to make sure that disc has any traces of your data completely gone. Okay, so that's particularly for a, a laptop you're talking. What about for our phones? Is it enough to just go back to factory reset to clear everything? A factory reset should clear the phone. I mean, just bear in mind that some phones also still have, uh, you know, make sure you've removed any SIM card. Uh, SIM cards can have some data storage. If the phone has a, an, an additional SD card, uh, so maybe if it's an older phone, they certainly had additional storage that way. Make sure you've removed that additional SD card that was in the device. Uh, but also make sure you've deactivated the phone so that it's no longer part of your account as well. Okay. Great tips when we get something um, old that we want to dispose of. What about we got something new to replace it with? So how can we best secure and protect our, our data on any new device we might have gotten? Well, so the first thing to do, if the device has a default password on it, make sure you set a new, fresh, uh, good password. Uh, and when I say good password, you know, a complex password, not one with normal words in it and such like. So make sure you secure the device correctly. If you can uh, have biometrics on it, even better. So use the biometric security. Um, yeah, and any account you create with the device, so i.e. if, if it's, for example, an Apple device and you use an iCloud, they will make you have two-factor authentication. If it's not an Apple device, uh, make sure you switch on two-factor authentication when you connect it to whatever cloud service that it needs to synchronize with. We have two-factor authentication here at work and on a lot of things, and frankly, it can be a pain in the petunia. But do you think it really does, it helps, it works? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if that second factor is something that actually you and I have probably used for the last 30 years, uh, two-factor is an ATM card. So you know something, you know the pen, and you have to physically have something which is the card. It's no different now where you, your phone is being used for two-factor authentication. You physically have to have the, the phone, you have to be able to unlock the phone, and you have to have the, the account details. So it does definitely add security. Good to know for sure. Okay, let's talk about um, some of the, the apps, some of the, the social media platforms that maybe we have on our phone. Are there security issues with some of them? I, I use TikTok, for example. It's always been one that we talked about. Well, I'm not an expert on, on securing TikTok, but you should make sure that actually when you do transfer from one device to another, there are certain things that you should carry across. And one of the things that actually is, is not complicated to carry across, but that you might forget about in that transition is if you use an authenticator app like Microsoft Authenticator or Google Authenticator, yeah. make sure you actually transition those correctly to the new device because those authenticator apps are probably used for you know, numerous different finance accounts, numerous different act, uh, act, active accounts you have on other cloud services. So make sure you transition it before you factory reset the old device. Okay. I want to go back to uh, laptops, for example, just for a sec before we let you go. But um, are there any data wiping tools that you recommend out there that might be best for us for, for clearing something on our laptop, for example? Well, there's, there's, a, number of the, there's a number of them out there. So Disk Wipe or Active Kill Disk uh, both do exactly that for laptops. Uh, the Apple system, if you're on a Mac, is pretty robust in itself. So use the Apple tools that are built in. Okay. Uh, both would be good. And make sure on your new devices, by the way, that you have security software. Yeah, very important to add 
what we all know as antivirus software, it does a little bit more than that these days, but you know, make sure you install a good security package and keep it up to date. Are there a couple that you recommend that you think are good? Well, strangely, I'd recommend DSET, but yeah, there's a lot of products <laughs> out there. Um, and I, yeah, as long as you have one, that would be my main concern. Okay, fair enough. Uh, when you have a hard drive, should you smash it and, and get rid of it before you, you know, throw it in the garbage or do anything, even though you might have wiped it? Well, even that, unless you actually know how to destroy the drive, uh, it might not actually destroy it from make it unusable to somebody else because you'd have to actually destroy certain parts of the drive. If you're that paranoid that you want it actually securely destroyed, then take it to a company that specialises in degaussings, i.e. removing the data or sanitising data on hard drives and have them do it. Okay, perfect. For home, for business, we'll send people to ESET, E-S-E-T dot com. I'm sure you will, you know, people can just even ask you questions if they need help with something. That's a good place for them to go, right? Yeah, they can look me up on Twitter uh, as well, Tony at ESET, and uh, feel free to ask me questions there. Awesome. Tony at ESET. And again, it's E-S-E-T dot com. Tony, thanks for always keeping us safe uh, when it comes to our, our digital security. Appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Tony is the chief security evangelist at Malware Protection and Internet Security Company, ESET.